The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. In virtual worship, our sanctuary empty, we gather this January Sunday. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. The liturgy, music, and sermon are offered in the praise of God for our virtual congregation today and later. Our service today includes the sermon recorded this week, along with recorded music and liturgy from earlier services. With joy and gratitude, we welcome back to our pulpit Mr. Scott Donahue Martins, PhD candidate in homiletics at Boston University. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership, ministry, and service in our midst, and as the spirit moves, when again it is permitted and safe to do so, your presence with us here in worship. Please note on our website the many possibilities for ministry and pastoral support available this week. Although our nave is empty, the music is full, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it.
Let us pray. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. We now enter into a time of reflection on both the things that we have done and the things that we have left undone that might burden us throughout our days. As the choir sings the Kyrie, let us confess our sin in the presence of God. hear the good news. God, who is rich in mercy, loved us even when we were dead in sin and made us alive together with Christ. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 and 10. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
and the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone great and small put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A lesson from St. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 7, verses 29 through 31. I mean, brothers and sisters, the appointed time has grown short. From now on, let even those who have wives be as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no possessions, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading verses from Psalm 62 with the Antiphon. For God alone my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from him. God alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress I shall not be shaken. On God rests my deliverance and my honor, my mighty rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in God at all times, O people, pour out your heart before God, who is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no confidence in exhortation, and set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this. That power belongs to God. And to you, O God, belong steadfast love, for you repay to all according to their work. Now please rise for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel.
The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. Glory to you, O Lord. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In April of 1521, reformer Martin Luther stood trial for his beliefs and convictions. With full knowledge that heretics of this magnitude were generally put to the death, at the conclusion of his defense, he famously uttered, here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. Luther's theology and convictions led him to stand firm when it would have been far easier to stand down. He is generally viewed favorably for standing strong for what he believed to be true. 
especially as it challenged existing paradigms and structures. In the United States, we face a situation where many have strong convictions rooted in their beliefs. We know all too well, though, that convictions cannot be equated with truth and that convictions can have serious repercussions. As a nation, we are coming through the postmodern breakdown of all truth to a place of competing truths. There is my truth and your truth, but very little of our truth. There is little work across the aisle, across the pews, and sometimes even across the dinner table. In many ways, truth has been reduced to individual experience. There are benefits to recognizing the perspectival, contextual, and experiential qualities of truth. However, truth also exists, or perhaps insists, to borrow language from Caputo, intersubjectively. It is never the sole property of one person, one view, or one party. So we come to a point of crisis, or at least confusion. There are different, here I stand, situations across the nation and world, which raises the question, how do we interpret these convictions amid competing truths? Like many of you, I am still processing the January 6th insurrectionist attack that took place. My soul is weary and my mind is full as I try to keep a grip on reality. It is not always easy to separate fact from fiction in the best of times, but given the breakdown of civility and a lack of candor, it is unfortunately not too difficult to understand how conspiracy theories are being legitimized and how radicalization is being actualized. We live in uncertain times. We are in difficult times, but we do not mourn as those without hope. We are those with faith because of the promises of God poured out through grace. We are those who can imagine a world of equality and freedom because we have seen and tasted a gospel that lays claim on our being in the world. This works to ground truth, not as some absolute that can be offered in pietistic, pithy phrases, but grounded in a creator who continues to create, a liberator who continues to liberate, and a healer who continues to heal. We heard last week the words of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. through his 1963 letter from Birmingham jail. There is a sense of urgency in the words of King, especially read back through his death and especially read through current events. We find also a sense of urgency in our lectionary passages for the day. From Jonah, we hear the most effective eight-word sermon that still left the preacher disappointed. Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. From Paul in 1 Corinthians, we hear the hope of the imminent return of Christ and the passing of the present age. I mean, brothers and sisters, the appointed time has grown short, and a little later, for the present form of this world is passing away. From Mark, we hear recognition that the nearness of the kingdom is at hand and the imperative to believe in the gospel. 
The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. These texts placed together by the lectionary on this third Sunday after the Epiphany communicate a sense of urgency. They communicate a sense that something has happened, is happening, and that something is about to happen. These passages teem with expectation of the eventfulness of God's presence and work in the world. These passages dream with expectations. The writers of each of these passages wrote of a God of power and strength capable of acting in and upon the world. A God whose words and actions can rupture into time to reorient particular places and even time itself. They drew direction and purpose from the meanings derived from these understandings and symbols of God. They also understood the importance of responding to the call. While God spoke through messengers and while God is envisioned as the one bringing about aspects of newness and change, the urgency in the passages is not just what the divine is doing or will do, but how humans will respond. The promise of divine activity is at the same time a call for human responsibility. The call and response provide ground and grounding as God works in, with, and through people for justice, liberation, and love. This can be a painful process because of misplaced affection and direction. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. He did not want his enemies to repent, and he actively ran from the call. Jonah knew God to be a God of forgiveness when repentance was genuine. When Jesus called, the disciples put down their nets and they followed. As fishermen, their nets were their livelihood. It was one of the most important tools, but a new call requires new tools. Following Jesus did not take away who they were, but it did change how they understood the world and their vocation in the world. They could not bring everything from their old life into their new life. Growth really rarely comes without growing pains. Often the gospel is bad news before it is good news, but it is bad news that brings about good news. The gospel is bad news to parts of the old that should no longer be. It is bad news to powers and principalities. It is bad news to idolizing understandings of God and lies that deceive. The call of the gospel leads to restoration and transformation. While the gospel is for me, it is also for you. And it is for us. Whenever the gospel stops being for everyone, it is no longer the grounding gospel. In the hopes of proclaiming a gospel for everyone, I share the following about myself with you today. I grew up in white America, a town that is still 98.9% white, that played the country music which describes it so well. I lived on a dirt road listening to the crickets and cows in my backyard. 
I was raised to love God, my family, and the United States of America. I was taught that we were always the good guys. A city on a hill blessed by God and built upon religious freedom. I learned early in life that the United States was formed as a nation set apart for the peace of the world. I pledged allegiance to the flag every day. In fact, I led the Pledge of Allegiance in my high school over the intercom for years. My mother, who taught me advanced government in high school, instilled the hope that if injustice was occurring, that we, the people, could always form a more perfect union through democratic practices. While much of what I learned had good and truth in it, there were also many falsities and untruths and mixed truths. In elementary school, I was taught that indigenous people were uncivilized aggressors and that the holy pilgrims just wanted to worship God in peace. In high school, I learned that the Civil War was fought to preserve the Union and that it was fundamentally a conflict of states' rights. My teacher would not accept slavery as a cause of the Civil War. There are a myriad of other white myths that formed and informed me. There was a lack of truth about the histories of non-white people and a great fear of the other, the other who takes away jobs and who is a threat to democracy and family values. There came a time when I had to separate fact from fiction and truth from lies. There came a time where the call was a choice. Do I love the other or do I run to Joppa? Do I follow a gospel unbounded by nations and nationalism or do I hold onto my nets which tangle truths with lies? Some might say I became disillusioned when what I held to be true but learned was only partly true and mostly false fell apart. I felt wounded. I struggled. I wonder if some of you are there today in despair and disillusioned, wondering how to move forward in faith or move forward at all. Maybe you are there for the first time. Maybe you are there for the tenth time. Well, it is a hard place to be. There are times when we need to be disillusioned to myths in order to see the truth. Like you, I watched in horror on July 6, 2021. I watched a crowd of overwhelmingly white Americans attempt a coup upon not only the particular people in power of this country, but the entire American democratic process. I watched people declare that they would rather kill those who they disagreed with than live in tension. I watched people break windows, scale walls, and propel chemical agents. I saw pictures of blood, zip ties, gallows outside the Capitol building, and guns drawn. I saw democratically elected officials wearing gas masks, lying on the floor with fear for their lives in their eyes. I saw flags of racism, hate, and sedition in the hollowed halls of government. As an ordained Christian minister, I confess the most offensive images were those with crosses. To authorize a political insurrection with the cross is not only to misunderstand the cross, it makes an idol out of the sacred symbol. 
Those were really nets, good for trapping and killing. The cross is not for trapping and killing, but freeing and living. I wept as I held my eight-month-old son, who bears the same name as the officer murdered by the mob. I wept that the day Georgia elected its first black senator, Confederate flags representing a system where all were not free and equal were proudly displayed in his future place of work. I wept, and I am still angry. I am angry at calls for unity that come with no accountability. There can only be unity when there is accountability. There can only be unity when there is trust. When trust is broken, it takes time to be restored. I am angry at the excuses and lies that created this moment in history and that attempt to say what happened didn't really happen. Beloved, well, it is necessary. Disillusionment can be dangerous. It can just as easily lead to apathy as it can lead to change. We've seen a part of this danger in concrete form on January 6th, but it is also the case that many people have experienced disillusionment their whole lives. Disillusionment itself can become a net or ground for those who repeatedly choose it or are forced into it. Through time, I have come to see that my America, the America that provided me with opportunities and liberties, was not everyone's America. Through time, I learned that my America was not only not everyone's America, but also that my America depended on America not being America to others. My upward mobility, my success, my financial independence, my gadgets and gizmos galore depended Yes, on my hard work, but also on the backs of others. My load was lighter, just like my skin, because of my light skin. Like you, I am still wondering where we go from here to heal from the traumas of history and recent events. Like you, I still wonder how to partner with others and God in redemptive work in the world. This week, I heard echoes of the call at the inauguration of President Biden, especially in Amanda Gorman's The Hill We Climb. Listen now to a part of this powerful poem. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? If only we dare. It's because being American is more than a pride we inherit It's the past we step into and how we repair it. We've seen a force that would shatter our nation rather than share it, would destroy our country if it meant delaying democracy. And this effort very nearly succeeded. But while democracy can be periodically delayed, it can never be permanently defeated. In this truth, in this faith, we trust. For while we have our eyes on the future, history has its eyes on us. This is the era of just redemption. We feared it in its inception. We did not feel prepared to be the heirs of such a terrifying hour, but within it, we found the power to author a new chapter, to offer hope and laughter to ourselves. So while once we asked, how could we possibly prevail over catastrophe? Now we assert, how could catastrophe possibly prevail over us? 
We will not march back to what was, but move to what shall be a country that is bruised, but whole benevolence, but bold, fierce, and free. When day comes, we step out of the shade of flame and unafraid, the new dawn balloons as we free it. For there was always light. If only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. Beloved, bravery is necessary to keep searching for light. Bravery is necessary to be the light, to hear the call of the gospel and respond with love and liberation for all. The gospel and democracy are certainly not the same. Neither are faith and politics. They should not be confused, but they can mutually inform and critically engage when done responsibly. President Biden reminded us this week that democracy is fragile. Perhaps it is time that we recognize that the gospel is fragile as well. Perhaps it is time to see that the gospel is not a weapon, but an invitation. It is not a trump card, but a call to live for the sake of God and the other. It is not some transcendent universal past panacea, but hope of what is to come that alters the present. Caputo put it this way, the name of God is possessed not of ontological foundations, institutional support, a large bank account, Swiss guards, a television network, or ecclesiastical authority. He goes on to say that God is found and experienced in the call and response of the everyday lives of people. He calls this urgent, eventful aspect of God the poetics of the impossible. The poetics of the impossible led Jonah to Nineveh when he wanted to go to Joppa, Paul to Corinth where he was rejected and led the disciples to drop their nets. The here I stand ground, the grounding of the call in response of a liberating God is the call of the gospel. The here I stand ground is not the moral high ground, the military high ground, or the political high ground. The gospel ground is sustained by faith and driven by truthful conviction. The here I stand ground is the ground of service and love. The call can still be heard today, but listening must precede speaking. Learning must precede teaching and accountability must precede unity. There are times when the gospel has to dislocate us before it can locate us. And so, today, stand in the work of the gospel. Stand in the gospel ground. We now come to a time in our service we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord.
creator of the universe, in the midst of civil unrests, local tragedies, global disasters, international conflicts, and the existential tensions that follow, we pray that you would keep the divine spark in us blazing, and we pray for our hearts to burn and break with yours at the sight of the unjust and evil done to those around us. Through the ground of being, shift our semantics, shift our language, and refract our lenses so that we can see the divine gravity in every moment. With our prismatic lenses grounded in these shifts, show us how brief the time we experience is. Show us where we can, as beings grounded in you, live out as your hands and feet, and shift our focuses on what needs to be done and what can be done. In these refractive shifts, focus our lenses. Help us to discern the differences between what we can change and what we cannot, and help us to accept both. Drive us into movement to serve our local communities, our interconnected cities, and our global society. We pray for those in leadership at every level. We pray for those driven to bring a little more heaven down to earth. We pray for those who are suffering in our lives, both spoken and unspoken. We pray that we feel the fire and energy in your call spoken through Christ to courageous movement. For in this fire and energy, we find warmth in the midst of the bitter, frigid, existential tensions we find in our current existence. In Christ, may we see the good in the midst of the bad, the love in the midst of the greed, and the peace in the midst of the unrest. May we see the divine in ourselves and in each other, affirming the humanity in others, and living out your call to see you in the least of these. And it is in the name of the one who imbues fire in our hearts and refracts our lenses. Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And as our Savior Christ has taught us, we now pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
take these gifts of generosity and pledge that we might continue your love and your compassion to be spread throughout the world. Amen. Gracious God, with those who now rest with thee within a greater light and upon a farther shore, may we know and share thy grace, thy mercy, thy peace, and thy love. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.